So how many of you got nervous when you heard I'll be preaching on chapters 2 and 3 this morning, huh? I figured some of you would. (laughs) We could probably spend seven weeks on the letters to the seven churches, but my goal in our journey through the book of Revelation is to give a broader perspective. And so this morning we turn to chapters 2 and 3 and um, keep your Bible open. We'll be looking at each of these churches in, in, in one way or another. But there's a theme that comes through very clearly in, in, in all of these letters. It ends with the phrase, if anyone has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the title of my, my message today is, is, you got your ears on? Have you come ready to listen to what the Lord wants to say to us this morning? Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, In heaven, thank you for your desire to reveal to us uh, who you are and who we are and how much we need you. And Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, our minds to your word as we look at these uh, letters to those seven churches that were found in the the area that we call Asia Minor. Lord, would you uh, guide us into your truth? Your word is everlasting truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Long before the age of cell phones, my two brothers and I, when we would uh, travel in a caravan, we used CB radios. Any of you ever (laughs) used a CB radio? You don't have to raise your hand if you're embarrassed. Um, And so we would converse with one another. Of course, you have to have a handle, right? Uh, mine was the Wolverine because I was born in Michigan. I claimed that one first. And then my brother Rick, um, who is not the preacher among us, he was motormouth because he, he probably talks a lot more than my oldest brother and I. And then um, my oldest brother, uh, whom you know, was the bald eagle. And you can probably figure out uh, why he was called the, the bald eagle. We weren't very good at it, but we tried to talk like the truckers do, you know, with their... Uh, their CB lingo, you know, 10-4, and uh, what's your 20, and there's, a, you know, a pig pen up, or a black and white, or uh, watch out for the bear trap, catch you on the flip-flop, you know, keep the, the shiny side up and the greasy side down and all that. Um, looks like we got us a convoy was, was another one, all that <laughs> lingo. The phrase we used most often was the one when we wanted to get each other's attention. And that was, got your ears on, bald eagle. Got your ears on, motormouth. Are you listening? Are you hearing? I got something that I want to say to you. Now, obviously, Jesus doesn't use exactly that phrase, got your ears on. He doesn't have a CB radio. He doesn't need one. But he does say something very similar in every letter to these seven churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is Jesus' way of saying, I have something to say, and you need to hear it. Would you agree with that today? Jesus has something to say. We better understand that we need to we need to hear it, don't we? We need to hear it. 
Why do we need to hear what Jesus has to say? I would suggest there are two reasons. First of all, we need to listen because Jesus knows us completely. In fact, you will see that word, knows, I know, in every single letter. There's something that Jesus tells each of these churches that He knows about them. And that shouldn't surprise us because if you were here Last Sunday, what did we say about Jesus? That He is in the midst of the seven lampstands. He is in the midst of the congregations. So He knows what's going on in every church. He knows what's going on in this church because He dwells in the midst of the lampstands. In the vision that John saw in chapter 1, Jesus is revealed as the one whose eyes were like a flame of fire. In other words, he knows everything about us because he sees what no one else can see. I can't see into your heart. I don't know what's going on in your mind. I can't follow you around every day of the week. So I don't know how much do I really know about you? Well, some of you more than others, but I don't know you like Jesus does. He knows everything about us. And since Jesus sees all things, He sees what is good in our lives, and He commends us for that. We see that illustrated in these letters to the seven churches. There is something about almost all of the seven churches that He commends. This is especially the case as you read what Jesus says about two of the churches, the church in Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia. These are the only two churches about which Jesus had only good to say. So that kind of puts them in a position of us saying, you know, these must have been some wonderful congregations as Jesus commends them. It's pretty significant because it wasn't easy to be a Christian in the city of Smyrna, for example. And those of you who study church history will remember a bishop from Smyrna by the name of Polycarp. Remember? He was one who was martyred for his faith. And in that city of Smyrna, there was a lot of martyrdom going on. The hillside on which Polycarp was burned, we are told, was the place where 1,500 Christians died at one time and 800 at another time. So imagine being a believer in such a city as that. But Jesus knew what these believers were facing and notice how He encourages them. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. So notice how Jesus encouraged these persecuted believers by reminding them that the best, the best is yet to come, right? Isn't that the message He gave to them? Some of them would no doubt die for their faith. 
But Jesus said the crown of life is waiting for those who are faithful unto death. Now, I don't know if any of us will ever face something like that. When we think of martyrdom, we usually think of other nations around the world and there are, there are Christians being killed today just because they love Jesus. Will that ever come here? I don't know. It could. And Jesus encourages us to be faithful unto death because you will receive the crown of life. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die. You know what it says. It's gain, right? Be faithful unto death. So Jesus says, don't be afraid. The crown of life is waiting for you. That's the church in Smyrna. The church in Philadelphia is the other church about which Jesus had only good to say. And what's interesting, it appears that this church was, was a relatively small church. And yet Jesus had some wonderful things to say about this congregation. Chapter 3, verse 8, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Because you have a little power, just a little power, and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, we live in a, a, a time of history where bigger, bigger is better, right? At least that's how many people think of it. And in terms of churches, you know, if you're a smaller church, what's wrong with you? <laughs> bigger is, is always better. It's good to know that Jesus has a mission for smaller churches. He gives an open door for them to proclaim the Word of God. And the standard by which He judges them is faithfulness. This church had a little power. And yet Jesus said, you've kept my word and you have not denied my name. You know what we need to remember? We need to remember that God has not called us to be successful. God has called us to be faithful. And He's responsible, is He not, for the results of that. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, and we made it happen, right? No. God gave the increase. So what we are called to is not to be successful, but to be faithful, because that's the standard by which God judges us. And the Lord knows what we've done in faithful service to Him. I love Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name. Some of you are involved in, in a ministry that's, that's behind the scenes. <laughs> A ministry that maybe people don't notice. Maybe they're not even aware of, of what you do. Jesus is. He is. He says, I know your works. I know that you're involved in something that, that maybe others don't know. And he says, I won't forget. God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love. So he commends what he sees in these congregations. But he doesn't just commend them for what good he sees. 
He, he knows them and so he corrects them too. There's, there's a significant amount of correction taking place in these, these seven letters. Think of the church in Ephesus from chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Paul ministered in the city of Ephesus for about two years. And there were some amazing things that happened in his ministry there. Um, healings and demons cast out and, and many that were saved and, and they brought their books of uh, occult books and burned them in the city. And it was a huge amount of money that was <laughs> went up in smoke. But Paul, when he left the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, he warned them. He said, you need to be on the alert because there are going to be false prophets that will come in False prophets from the outside, and there will also be be false prophets from the inside. And he said, you need to guard the flock. Because God has purchased that flock with his blood. Well, you read what Jesus says to this church, and, and they heeded Paul's warning in that sense. He says, I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance. You cannot tolerate evil men. You put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false. You've persevered. You've endured. You've not grown weary. And yet he goes on to say in chapter 2, verse 4, But I have this against you. And what was it? Jesus said, you've left your first love. You've left your first love. The problem with this church, in spite of their sound doctrine, there was something wrong in their relationship with Jesus. Jesus reminds us here that it is possible for us to be doctrinally sound and at the same time be spiritually empty. I've heard someone put it this way, straight as a gun barrel and just as empty. Oh, they can cross their T's and dot their I's. They know their Bible well or sound in doctrine, but there's something missing. They've left their first love. Can that happen to us? You bet it can. I've told you before, when my father was in seminary, he backslid spiritually. And my grandfather confronted him about it because he said, son, he said, what you preach, there's nothing wrong with it. It is sound. He said, but there is something missing in your life. He said, you got the words without the music. (laughs) Grandpa put it that way. He said, you left your first love. You've lost your zeal. And my dad actually left the seminary to go into teaching. And there's nothing wrong with teaching. And a pastor came to him all the way from Illinois, drove up to Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and he said to my dad, what are you going to do when you stand before God one day? My dad got down on his knees and said, Lord, renew me. Give me that first love. That zeal for souls, that love for you, that love for people. And my dad said, if, if that ever is gone, Lord, take me home. This church was doctrinally sound, but they were spiritually empty. You've left your first love. The church in Pergamum 
dwelt in a city filled with heathen temples. One author called it a grand pantheon of pagan worship, a metropolis of sacred sensuality. Jesus described Pergamum as a place where Satan's throne is. Obviously not an easy place to minister, but Jesus did have some good things to say about this church. Chapter 2, verse 13, he said, I know well where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Now put yourself in the shoes of that congregation. If one of your members was martyred for their faith, what would that do to our church? If one among us was martyred because of our faith in Jesus, do you think that would separate the real from the fake? Just imagine that. My faithful witness... And yet, what does it say about this church? You hold fast my name. You did not deny my faith even in the days when this man was martyred. And yet, Jesus said, there, there, there are some issues here too. Verse 14 of chapter 2, but I have a few things against you. Because you have there some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who, in the same way, hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So there were some within this congregation who were involved in idolatry and immorality. Instead of transforming the culture, they were conforming to the ways of of the world. Merrill Tenney says, in a civilization where temples to false gods stood on every street corner and in every public square, in which sexual indulgence was not only condoned, but was in many ways of the cults promoted as an act of worship, the Christians who had been brought up in that environment had a hard time to break away from it completely. And so with that church, Jesus had concerns. And then we have the church in Thyatira. Thyatira was the least significant city of the seven mentioned in these chapters. And yet this congregation in this city received the longest letter. And Jesus had some good things to say about them. Chapter 2, verse 19, he says, I know your deeds and your love, and faith, and service, and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Now, that's a contrast between Ephesus, right? They had left their first love. Their, their greatest time of zeal and commitment was in the past. Now, Jesus says about this church, you're getting, this church is getting better. This church is, is, is growing. They, they weren't satisfied with the status quo. As Warren Wearsby put it, he said, they had a holy dissatisfaction. <laughs> you know what that is? A holy dissatisfaction is like, you know what? I need to grow. I need to learn. I need to 
draw closer to Jesus. But this church had some problems too that Jesus knew about. Verse 20, But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. And she does not want to repent of her immorality. So the problem with this church in Thyatira is that they weren't willing to confront sin. They were tolerant of Jezebel. Tolerant of her teaching in spite of the fact that she was leading people astray. Perhaps they were hoping that she would eventually repent, but Jesus said the time for repentance was over. He said He's going to come and He will deal with her and her followers personally. And Jesus said, this will be a wake-up for the church. Look at verse 22 of chapter 2. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am He who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Can't help but wonder. This is how the Lord feels about churches today that tolerate almost anything. We find them in our culture, don't we? Churches that almost anything goes. We accept anything and anyone. doesn't matter how you live. And they make that sound like that's loving. <laughs> to just say, well, yeah, God loves you. Just go your own way. Do your own thing. doesn't really matter. He still loves you. Tolerate anything except Bible-believing truth, right? Bible-teaching. Boy, we live in a time of, of toleration, don't we? And Jesus said, I'm going to come. And I'm going to deal with that. This will be a wake-up call for the churches. They'll see who I am. If you examine what Jesus says about the church in Sardis, chapter 3, you will notice something quite sad. There is nothing, not one single thing, that Jesus commends them for. The church in Sardis was a dead church. Chapter 3, verse 1, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. This church still had Christian in their name. Maybe maybe they were the first Christian church of Sardis. I don't know what, what names they gave to churches. Probably a little different than some of the names we see today. Interesting names. You wonder where on earth did those names come from? But they had Christian in their name, used Christian terminology. But Jesus said, there's, there's, little, there's little spiritual life here. You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. I remember many years ago, I went with my dad to a congregation for evangelistic meetings. It was not one of our churches. I'm thankful for that. And, 
And we got there and the first thing the pastor said, oh, we got a little competition tonight. There's a choir concert. And he said, I wouldn't mind being there myself. Oh, my dad says, you go right ahead. He said, we'll take care of this. Oh, no, no. He said, well, I'll, I'll stay. I'll stay. You know. Well, my dad, as he did, he preached the evangelistic message and that pastor was so uncomfortable. After the service, he said, uh, you know, just, you, you know just, just tell the people how to witness. He said, everybody here is a Christian. And someone told my dad later, the only, one, the only man in that church that had any spiritual life was the undertaker. <laughs> he was the one that got my dad in that church. Uh, you talk about a dead church. It was just no, no, no spiritual life. And I wonder how many churches in America would receive that kind of a message. You've got a name. You call yourself Christian. You're dead. You are spiritually dead. And then we come to the church in Laodicea. This is the other church besides Sardis that Jesus could find nothing worth commending. Chapter 3, verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot. Remember what Jesus said? I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, some would say, Jesus said that? Yes, Jesus said that. Lukewarm, self-sufficient. We don't need anything. We've got our riches. We've got our wealth. We're just fine. We really don't even need Jesus. Or there's people like that in our culture today, isn't there? We live in an affluent area. I wonder how many people live life with that attitude. I don't need religion as a crutch. <laughs> I've got everything I need, got my house, my money, my 401k, I'm just fine. Thank you very much. Not really interested. And yet, what did Jesus say about them? Verse 17, you say, I'm rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. A little different than their view of themselves, huh? Because of their wealth, the church had become self-sufficient. They didn't need anything. But Jesus said that they were in a pitiful spiritual condition because their self-assessment was completely wrong. Opposite of what Jesus said. And William Hendrickson said, Who is more to be pitied than an individual who imagines that he is a fine Christian, whereas in reality Christ is utterly disgusted with him. Strong words. But Jesus was disgusted with that church. So I guess we have to ask the question, do we have an accurate understanding of who we are? Do we know where we stand before God? Do we see ourselves as... Jesus does. We ought to listen to Him because He knows us. <laughs> he knows us completely. In fact, He knows us better than we know ourselves. You know that? He knows you better than you know yourself. And He will give an accurate assessment of our true condition. And the question is, do we want that? 
Do we really want to know? (laughs) Do we really want to hear what Jesus says to us today? He knows. So we have to listen because He knows us. The second thing then, as we conclude today, we need to listen to Jesus because He loves us deeply. Now think of that. He knows us completely. He knew everything about these churches. And all that I've shared with you about these churches would would maybe cause us to say, how could you love people like that? And yet He loves them. He loves us. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus is described as the one who loves us. And if you look at what he says then to these seven churches, you can see how deep that love is. We know that Jesus loves us because he warns us of the consequences of our sin and he invites us to repent and come to him. That's love, isn't it? That's love. Kind of interesting, if you read through these letters, you'll see several or else statements. Do you know what an or else statement is? <laughs> I bet your mother gave you some of them, right? Do your homework or else. You're not going outside. Clean your room or else. <laughs> Does that ring a bell with anybody? Huh? No. Jesus gives some of these or else statements. He did to Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you've fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and I'll remove your lampstand out of your place unless you repent. That's a pretty serious warning, isn't it? If the Ephesian congregation did not repent, Jesus said, your church will not remain any longer. I will remove my blessing from your church. Pergamum. Chapter 2, verse 16, Therefore repent or else I'm coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Now that's a serious warning, isn't it? Jesus said, either you repent or I'm coming and there will be war. Who would want to do battle with Jesus? Are you willing to do war with him? (laughs) What's the solution? Jesus said you need to repent. Sardis, chapter 3, verse 3. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. So to many of these churches, Jesus issued a very clear and a very firm warning. And if you examine them carefully, there's one thing in common with all of these warnings. In every situation, the way to avoid the consequences is repentance. We either turn from our sin or we will eventually face God's discipline. It may not come right away because God is long-suffering, but eventually we will face His discipline. It's one or the other. Now, if you're a parent, you know why you discipline your children, right? 
because you love them. They don't fully understand that when you're disciplining them, do they? Right? Any of your parents say this, I, I need to discipline you because I love you. And then they look at you like, that does not make sense, that does not compute. You're going to spank me, you're going to discipline me because you love me? Yep. You may not understand it now, but later on you will understand that because I love you, I discipline you. Isn't that what Jesus says in Revelation 3.19? Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. That's how deeply He loves us. He will not let us go off into a direction that will bring the consequences of sin he disciplines that he might bring us back to him. And that verse, Revelation 3.19, was written to the church of Laodicea. The church that Jesus said, I will spit you out of my mouth. They had nauseated him. And yet, what does Jesus say? I love you. Those whom I love, I reprove. And discipline. And you go on in verse 20, Jesus says to this church, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. There it is. If anyone hear my voice, I will. And come in and open the door, I will come in, and I will dine with him and he with me. So there's the bottom line, isn't it? Do you hear his voice? Are you listening to him? Put your hands up here. How many of you find ears there? Find them there? You got them? Some of you are afraid to do that. Go ahead, grab them. You got them, right? How many do you have? You got two of them, right? Jesus says, if, if you even have an ear, you got two of them. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You'd be wise to hear His voice because He knows you completely and yet He still loves you deeply. Father, thank You that You know us and yet You love us. Hard for us to fully grasp what that means, but that's what your word declares. You know us, and yet you love us. Lord, help us to have ears to hear what you would say to us, not just this morning, but day by day, as we open your word, Lord, and hear what you have to say to us. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.